want to read this evening uh, from uh, Mark 12. Amen. And I don't think inspires as inspired is the word, but I was motivated to look into this and because of a debate on the radio. And it turned out it wasn't just on U105. I have U105 on in the car. If I'm going anywhere, I'm getting old. I never listen to music now. I like talk shows for some reason, even though they anger me, some of the things I come off with. But there was a debate. An American pastor had said that on social media, he said, ladies should not have to uh, be scantily clothed. And that's not the words he used. But they shouldn't be wearing revealing clothing. They don't have to wear revealing clothing. And the abuse that man took is unbelievable. Apparently now, today, it's not politically correct to refer to, refer to a woman as a lady. Apparently it insults women. So this is the nonsense that's going on. And I thought, you know something, we need to look at this. So that's my motivation for what I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about self-love. So our reading is Mark 12, and we'll read from verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first commandment of all is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, for this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And we just trust the Lord to bless his word to us this evening. You know, the words of Jesus, without any shadow of a doubt, are yea and amen. And so we know that when Jesus speaks, he speaks the truth. And when Jesus speaks the truth, I think we have to listen. You know, as I said, there's a great de debate today, especially on social media, about selfies. For those of you who don't honor on social media, you have a lot of young people taking photographs of themselves, posing in all sorts of shapes, and putting it on their Facebook or Twitter or whatever other ones there are. And you kind of, the, the debate is, are they wrong to do this? Do these uh, selfies... Do they exploit women? I'll not name names, but uh, I have an AOL uh, email. And so the AOL news comes up whenever I try to, try to go into my emails. And it's a particular family. And they're always advertising that they've released this photograph. And if they're not wearing lingerie, they're wearing bikinis. I don't look at them. This is just the headlines, by the way. And... Famous other stars like uh, television stars in Britain, photographs of them and how they're scantily clothed. And so I do believe they exploit women. But they also don't set a good moral for younger women coming forward. For younger women are watching these and younger men, because there's a lot of men do it too. And they're thinking that that's the example to follow. That this is the way to attract people. And I often said, and I've said to many young ladies, if you have to dress scantily to attract a man, you're attracting the wrong man. And we need to be careful, and we need to, we're not being uh, dogmatic, but we need to be concerned, I believe, in society today. For young women, they, they, they put selfies of themselves on, on the internet, and they leave themselves open to seduction and manipulation. And you've only got to look 
And you can go on, there's a wonderful uh, website for schools. And hi, I can't remember the name now, but there's one where children can uh, go into and it warns them about, you know, whoever you're talking to on the internet, they're not generally who they say they are. And so these young girls putting themselves in very attractive photographs, they're attracting these individuals who will try and manipulate them and try and, uh, you know, even meet them. And, so, and I said, it's not just young girls, it's men and women also. They're trying to be something they are not. And that's really what I want to concentrate on tonight. It's this example that you have to look like this. You know, as a young lady, you have to wear, uh, you have to be skinny or you have to wear particular clothes or you have to have particular uh, fashion on. Gina and I were at a lunch today. And uh, so we do this every so often. I had too much. She had beef brisket and sugar rays. It's unbelievable. Amen. And I had jeans as well, so I'm suffering at the front. But there was a waitress there, and she looked like olive oil, Popeye's wife. She'd got her lips injected. God love the girl. I felt like going over and saying there, you know, here's a couple of pounds. I ain't got that fixed. But this is the problem. They're told that this is attractive. They, they, I'm told that apparently young women today shave their eyebrows off and tattoo eyebrows on. And, you know, this, 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 construct, this social construct which I believe is being developed in society. It's, it's making people think that I have to look like that. You know, to fit in with everyone, I have to be, I have to look like that. And you know, maybe in my generation, it was the same. And you lived in an estate in Belfast in the 70s. All the young men wore Skinners and DMs. You know, that was your identification. And the Braniel, we were the red tartans. We have had, we'd have had a bit of red tartan about. So we identified with, with things, maybe shouldn't have identified with them, mind you, but today I think it's dangerous what they're identifying with and the role models that they are following. And why do I think this? Many people today are in distress and anxiety and they feel inadequate. They feel inadequate. Young ladies, young men, depression is higher than it's ever been before and I do believe that we need to learn how to define between sadness and depression, but there are many young people, and when I say young, I'm talking about people in their 20s, mid-20s to their early 30s even, and they're in distress, they're in anxiety, and many people suffer the pain of self-hatred, and they live each day with a feeling of worthlessness. And you know, that's out there today. This lack of love for themselves, but you know what that also does? It produces or promotes a lack of love for other people. Because many will tell you that if you can't love yourself, you're not going to be able to love other people. And in our reading, we've seen the desire of God for the duty of every human being to love God. And the second commandment, which he told the scribes and the Pharisees that day, was to love others as you love yourself. And these two commandments, they're invitations that enrich life. They are to enrich your life. This is God talking, as I've said, when Jesus said something, we should listen because without any shadow of a doubt, it's for our benefit. And if we love the Lord our God, and if we love others as we love ourselves, it will enrich our lives. The measure of love that we express for ourselves is a measure of love that we are to express for others. If we have a low view of ourselves, we therefore will have a critical view of others. There's a gentleman called uh, R. Lofton Hudson, 
And he said, when a man does not love himself, he cannot love his fellow man. And when he does not understand God's love, he does not know how to love himself. And you know, when I read that there, it backed up what I really, what I felt God has been saying to me. You know, when I don't understand God's love, and people today don't understand God's love, because of the media, because of the nonsense that's said about Christianity, they, 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 they try and tell that we're poisoning the minds of young people and we're harming young people by reading the word of God to them. And therefore, they do not understand God. They see God as this judge sitting up on this throne, making everybody sick, starting wars, sending famines down upon the earth. That's not the God whom we know and love. But because they do not know God that way, they don't know also how to love themselves. And you know what? There are many symptoms that can indicate the lack of a proper love for oneself. One of them is, do you have a habitual tendency to belittle yourself? You know, I've heard, you know, thinking about this and sort of trying to jot down what, what I see, I remember conversations or different things that, that people would have said to me. And many people that I've, I've spoke to in life, without consciously doing it, they're belittling, belittling themselves. They're putting themselves down, as it were. You know, they're, they're going to do something and... Uh, or if they feel that, uh, you know, unaccepted, they're, they're putting themselves down. And it's something that we can do subconsciously without thinking about it, in other words. And, you know, there's a wonderful exercise when you're counseling people that, uh, that I give them. And it's listen to yourself talk. And when you've said something, just go and sit in a corner and think to yourself, what have I just said there? And examine it. And it's really good. It does help. So people belittle themselves. Do you find within yourself a refusal to believe in your own ability and worth? You see, this is questions that you've got to ask yourself. Because if I asked you them tonight, you know, you'd probably tell me, no, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. But honestly, sit down before the Lord and say to yourself, do I refuse to believe in my own ability and my own worth? I couldn't do that. Many times have any of us said that. I wouldn't be able to do that. And even worse than that, how many times have we thought to ourselves, God wouldn't want me to do that. God wouldn't want me to go there. God wouldn't want me to say this. And that's a refusal to believe in our own ability and our own worth. Do you regularly hesitate to attempt that which is new or difficult? You know, many people don't go far in life because they won't risk anything. I think it was either Einstein or Fleming. And they said that the only way to learn is to make a mistake. And you know, Einstein had said had something like a couple of thousand uh, failures in his experiments. But when he got one right, it changed the world. And you know, it's so true. We're so, so quiet and so unable to, to give ourselves something difficult to do, especially in the kingdom of God. We kind of listen to the world and we'll look at it in a minute and listen to Satan. And we kind of think, I couldn't do that. And I've got to admit to that too. I've felt God telling me to go and talk to people and I've made all sorts of excuses in my head. No, they're not going to listen to me. They don't like me. I'm an older man. There are younger people. And we, we doubt our ability. We doubt our worth before God. Are you characterized by a feeling of loneliness and alienation from others? And you know, all of us could say, well, with family, with this, with that, but sometimes you can't feel alone. 
Sometimes you can feel a bit of alienation from others, that you're not up to their standard. One example I'll give you is people have said to me many times, you know what, they said, I'm sitting in church or maybe going through a situation which is a bit of a trial for them. And they're thinking that these people all around me, they can all worship the Lord, but I can't. And, and then they get that feeling of uh, lack of self-worth. And they get that feeling of alienation, you know, the, that loneliness, loneliness sitting in a, in a church full of people worshiping the Lord. And it's because of their thinking. They think that, <clears throat> you know, the, the, that all these other people are wonderful and, and they're not wonderful because they're not dealing with their problem or they're not trusting God or, or all these different things which come against us. Do you find that you have a tendency to escape from reality through artificial means such as drugs and alcohol? Now, I know no one in the room tonight has went down that road. Maybe at one stage in your life you did. But, you know, there's other ways to get away from reality. And it's denial. You know, do you deny things? <clears throat> People who take drugs and alcohol, they, 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 they do it to try and forget or they do it to try and stop their mind thinking. But the problem is when they sober up or come out of their drugs, their problems are still there. Are you characterized by a continuing flight from one place to another? from one situation to another. I think the best way I can describe this one is a, a, a friend of mine's in the ministry. And every time I see him, he's gone somewhere else. He was working, they tried to start a Bible school, uh, the Rhea Bible School. I was up in West Belfast. Uh, and then he started a, a church, a house church, church fellowship. Next time I was talking to him, and recently, I wasn't talking to him, but I noticed on his Facebook page, he's now in another church. He started another church uh, and he spelled fast. So he's going from one place to another. And I know him and I know him personally and I've spoken to him and I know his character. And the minute he's challenged, he gives up. You know, this isn't for me. And he goes somewhere else. If you want to come into the ministry, be prepared for battles. Be prepared for battles, not just pastors. If you want to come into any ministry, be prepared for battles. And when these battles come, you're not going to do anything going, well, I'll go over here because it's a wee bit hard, that bit. But when you go over to another ministry, you'll find it's just as hard. And you give it up and you go over to another one. Oh, no, that's too hard. And this is, with greatest respect, this uh, gentleman's, uh, the way he lives his life, going from one thing, flying from one airport to another, as they say. Every time there's a difficulty, he'll go, and apparently God's called him somewhere else. And worst of all, do you have suicidal thoughts? Because you see, all these things, if we don't deal with them, they can bring these thoughts and bring us down to such a low place that we do think we're not worth anything and our life isn't worth living. And so we ask the question then, why do people lack, lack a proper life for themselves? Some experience absence of love in their early years and come to hostile feelings towards themselves. You know, there's no doubt your, your, your whole life is like a, it maps out your future as such. And there's people who have had a difficult childhood. And because they've had a difficult childhood, things are harder for them. They find it harder to, for other people to accept them. They find it harder, harder for, to believe that other people like them, that actually appreciate what they're, they're doing. And it's important for all parents to understand that a child's experiences, if it feels the love of its parents or other significant people, it, its personal development will definitely improve. 
You know, children may conclude that they are unlovable, they're worthless because they are deprived of love at a time when love is as necessary as milk, one, one individual said. And you know, there's parents today, and you've only got to see it, and you know something has come between them and their children, and it's their computers, it's their iPhones, it's their iPads. You know, I've seen it on the bus, I've seen it as I was walking along, I think I told you before, never get this one out of my mind, it was a two, three-year-old, away in front of its mom, and its mom's walking along like this, and there's cars flying past, and that kid's way, way away. Now, that woman loves her child, but this thing in her hands coming between her and her child, the protection for her child. There's children, and this isn't my research, you only got a, in fact, it was on ITV recently. There's children spent five to six hours a day on their computer and about a half an hour with their parents. And that's only to get them to school, to bring them home to school, and they're up in front of their computer. I would say to parents today, as all experts have recommended, limit their time on the computer and spend time with them. Especially your older children, teenagers. Talk to them. Take time and let them know they are loved. I know everyone in here, I'm more than certain, does that with their children. But when I'm speaking generally about society today, a deficiency of affection in early years can lead to despair in later life. They can form a low opinion of themselves when they compare themselves with others. And you know something? The Bible says that when we compare ourselves with others, the Bible's words are, we're not wise. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they are measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Brothers and sisters, as we're going to see in a moment, you are a unique individual. I have talents that you don't have. You have talents that I don't have. So I don't compare myself with you. Don't compare yourself with me. Don't compare your, <coughs> yourself with someone in the sense that you kind of feel that they are better than me. We can do that so much. You know, I can look at those that can sing and I can think I'm useless, I can't sing. But you know something? That's their talent. God has given them that talent. And God takes my talent, takes your talent, takes your talent. He brings them together to form the body of Christ. So don't compare yourselves with others. We need to realize our own uniqueness. You know, your uniqueness is a gift from God. From the, from the womb, God knew you and God formed you. And you know, I, I'm sure every one of you would agree with me here. I can look back in my life and see God's hand. There's different events that I went through that I've learned from. I'm going to look back on them like David the psalmist. I can say, God's hand had led me and guided me. And I'm certain that I'm speaking to the converted this evening. You know, you, you don't know at the time. But that has developed your character and made you who you are. Some may have a low opinion of themselves because they labor under the burden of an unresolved guilt. You know something that I realized about guilt recently? Guilt certainly uh, <clears throat> can be a horrible curse from Satan. But you know something? Guilt can be a blessing from God. Guilt actually can be a blessing from God. If you're feeling guilty about something, we tend to say, oh, it's Satan, it's the old man trying to make me feel bad. It's maybe God trying to correct you and turn you from your ways. 
When guilt comes from God, it is intended to bring about correction, correction in your life, in your thinking, in your living. And so whenever we refuse to acknowledge our responsibility for sin, it does lead to a guilt problem that will bring about depression, self-hate, <coughs> and low self-esteem. And this has made some Christians hate themselves. They have hated themselves because they think their sin, excuse me, they think their sin is so great that God won't forgive them. And I have spoken to people. It would surprise you some of the people that have told me that, that they, they, they can't understand. They refuse to accept <coughs> that, that God's forgiveness actually extends to them. They'll sing about it. They'll maybe witness to other people about it. But there's people who have done things in their lives and they're so ashamed. They're so ashamed of what they've done. <coughs> and, they're so, and again, this is things that they've done when they weren't Christians. That they, they have a real big problem accepting God's forgiveness. I've said this before. I could tell you three or four people at least that I've been with who've been terminally ill. And that was one of the questions they asked me. Pastor, am I forgiven? And the trend, I tell them I'm not a priest, so you don't need to confess your sins to me. Confess to the Lord. But they felt that before they were a Christian, the life they lived was horrendous. And the things that they did, one individual told me that he cannot understand how God could forgive him. I said, well, don't try and understand it. Just try and believe it because it's a fact. We can hate ourselves so much that we can feel such guilt that we tend to forget that God has forgiven us for our sins. Some of us have been willing to accept God's forgiveness, and that's good. But then the trouble comes when we refuse to forgive others, when we're unwilling to forgive others. You know, that can put pressure on in your life when you hold that, that, that not that hatred, but that mindset that this person has done me wrong. And again, people have told me, I can't forgive them. Well, you have to forgive them because Jesus said, the same way you forgive others is the way I'll forgive you. And it's hard, and we tend to think that forgiveness is uh, accepting that what was done against us as it was right. It's not. It's not justifying what someone did. They did wrong. But you as a Christian are forgiving them, and you are letting yourself go more than letting them go. You're not going to let it destroy the rest of your life when you can forgive others. It's hard to do. And if you're unwilling either to accept God's forgiveness or grant God's forgiveness to yourself, this will contribute to this self-hate. And it may be the result, or not may be the result, it will result in you having this low opinion of yourself. This this feeling that you can't worship God properly or, or that people don't like you. And again, you, you know, you try to be something you're not. We talked the other week about people putting a mask on. But you know something? God sees behind that mask. And all we've got to do is pray to him and ask him to open our understanding. We can be certain that the devil wants us all to, <clears throat> to hate ourselves, to dislike ourselves, to limit ourselves. The devil wants you to feel that you're incapable of doing anything for the Lord. He is the accuser of the brethren. And as part of his strategy, strategy to cause people to hate themselves. And when they hate themselves, it's easier to cause them to hate others. 
Hating makes it makes yourself, or makes it impossible, sorry, for you to be genuinely showing love for God and others. We have got to take hatred out of our lives. So how do we develop a proper love for self? To properly love others, we need to recognize and respond to the good news that God loves us as sinners, even though he knows all about us. And we read this at the table this morning, Romans 5 and 8. God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know something? We don't have to uh, achieve a level of righteousness before God loves us. We don't have to achieve certain things and do certain things and give certain things and make certain sacrifices before God will love us. Read the word of God. Even while we were yet sinners, God loves us and he gave himself for us. We need to let that sink into our heads. He died on the cross while we were in our sins. He looked through the, the annals of time and he seen you, he seen me, and he loved us. And that's what nailed him to the cross, the love he had for fallen mankind. Many other religions will tell you you need to achieve uh, some sort of a self-righteous standard uh, before you get into their heaven, their paradise. We don't need to achieve anything. We need to just acknowledge that we are sinners in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiveness for which he freely gives to us. See, nothing's hidden from the piercing, penetrating eye of the all-seeing and all-knowing God. No secrets can be hid from God. And the good news of the gospel is that God loves us and extends his grace and mercy toward us, even though we are sinners. And people need to know that today. God loves you. God loves you. You may be thinking, as we've said earlier on, <coughs> that you're not worthy, you're not capable. You might have a guilt thing you feel sorry about. And you might have all these things that your mind wrestles with. And again, for me, the best chapter in the Bible to describe that is Romans 7. Paul talks about the things that he would do, he does not, and the things he would not do, these things he does. This war that works in him, and this war that's in you wants to degrade you, wants to put you down to a standard where you think everybody else but you is doing well, where everybody else but you God loves. This is what Satan wants you to believe. This is what Satan wants to destroy your life with. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's good news because we are forgiven our sins. We take nothing else from what I've said tonight. Just think about that. He has redeemed us from the destruction that sin was making in our lives. The gospel is not good advice. It is good news for all sinners. And if you would love yourself, try to recognize the height and depth and length and breadth of God's love for you, then you will feel much better in your spirit. Now, there's a, a degree of love for yourself. I don't want you going home and putting love bites in your mirror. That's, in the type of, that's not the type of love I'm talking about. It's respect for yourself. It's, it's, yes, I'm a sinner, but Almighty God died on the cross for me. And God thinks that all the value, all the riches in this world aren't worth the price for my soul. And that's what took him to the cross. And that's why you should feel you are worth being happy. You are worth self-respecting yourself. You are worth other people loving you. You're worth all this. <clears throat> Accept God's forgiveness 
And then another thing you'll be able to do, as I said a moment or two ago, is forgive yourself. Because the word of God's very plain. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. That doesn't say some. You know, people will tell you today, this isn't the terminology they use, but they tell you there's different grades of sin. There's different grades of sin. So there's not too bad. There's really horrible sins. Brothers and sisters, sin is sin. If you steal a pound or if you steal a hundred pound, you're a thief. You've sinned. doesn't matter that someone stole more than the other person. There's no grades for sin. Sin is sin. Sin separates you from God. And as I've said, we, we do things and, and we, we tend to let them get into our, our, our heads. Sometimes we let the old carnal man take over. We may say something about someone or pass on something about someone and think about it later. And, you know, then we wrestle in our heads. You know, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have done that. And this is what Satan wants us to do. When all it needs is a bit of repentance and a bit of forgiveness. Accept God's forgiveness and forgive yourself. God can be depended upon to forgive you and to cleanse you from all that separates you from him. By faith, let us accept this tremendous gift from God. And by faith, let us respond to the truth that God holds our sin against us no longer. As I said the other week, men will remember what you did. But as far as God's concerned, it's gone and you are forgiven. And we need to accept that truth that God has accepted us into his family as his dear children. I remember reading that a pastor said that we all need to make restitution to those whom we have harmed. And he quoted Zacchaeus as the greatest example of this. And in fact, Jesus did encourage his followers to do all within their power to make things right with those who have did something or they have did something against. In fact, you go into the Old Testament and if you take someone's sheep, you have to replace that sheep with a better sheep or two sheep. And, but sometimes <coughs> restitution is impossible. And what can we do then? Well, at that point, we've got to be willing to admit our helplessness and trust God to help us to do the best that we can in future. And one of the hardest things for human beings to do is to have the courage that if you've done something wrong, is to go and say, I am sorry. I am sorry. I remember as part of my training as a, as a counselor, they said, if I can remember them right, there's 12 words that every couple should uh, learn and it would help their relationship. And they split them up into four groups of three. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me, I love you. And you know something? There's a bit of truth in that too, isn't there, for our Christian walk. To have the courage as a Christian, if you have wronged someone, if you have said something that you shouldn't have said, because what you're doing, if you're going to them, you're actually admitting you said it. But then you're saying, I am sorry, I was wrong. I love you, please forgive me. You think about that there. That gives you a release and takes away that, those chains that are going to bind you and going to upset you and going to make you lose sleep because of this guilt thing that you may feel. Then we've got to evaluate ourselves and accept 
uh, us as God made us. It said that God formed us in the womb. You know, Jesus sought to help people overcome anxiety by encouraging them to evaluate themselves from God's viewpoint. And that's the thing to do. Evaluate yourself from God's viewpoint, not from man's viewpoint. You know, if you go on to, as I started off with, their social media, particularly the young people, they're told on social media what they should look like. They're told on social media <coughs> uh, what they should do. And the examples that they are given are not godly examples. And because of that, they're devaluating themselves. And you know, something to think about if you're witnessing to a young person. It's something to think about if you're a teacher and work amongst young people, is they do have a very negative influence from the world. And you've got to pray and ask God, Lord, help me to get through to them, their value and their worth. The world might see them as unlovable. The world might see them as unvaluable, but God sees them as a sinner that he died on the cross for. And I think when people begin to understand that and begin to understand they have value in God's eyes. You have value in God's eyes. I have value in God's eyes. The world may not like me. man. They may not like what I preach. But you know something? God loves me. Amen. God values me as his child. God values you as his child. We value our own children. Even more so our grandchildren. You know, uh, you have children and it's wonderful. And you have grandchildren and as my dad used to say, it's a pity the grandchildren didn't come first. I wouldn't have had to put up with you. We love our children. How much more does our heavenly father love us with an infinite love, with a love that wants to reach out? You know, when we see our children hurting, we want to hug them. We want to comfort them. We want to encourage them. Church tonight, I believe God wants to encourage you, hug you as it were, help you back in your walk, help you see that to him, you are valuable. To him, in God's eyes, you are needed in his kingdom. You know, this is truth. You are needed in God's kingdom. God's work is not dependent on an individual, but it's dependent on men that we fulfill the calling that he has given us. We need to evaluate ourselves and accept ourselves as God values and accepts us. As I've said, Jesus tried to help people. He urged his disciples to listen to a sermon uh, about the sparrows and to take a lesson from the lilies. And the God who loved the birds of the air and the plants of the field loves us and will help us to be what he meant us to be. Remember that parable, consider the sparrows. Where do they find rest? Where do they find? Consider the lilies of the, uh, of the field. Solomon in all his glory was not a red like these plants were. And yet how much more does God love you and love me? And for me, as I've looked at this and thought about this and prayed about this, I think that's what's wrong with a lot of people today. They don't value themselves as any significance whatsoever. But if we learn people, teach people to trust God day by day, to do the best that we can to show them that they are valuable in God's eyes. And we do that by showing them that we know we're valuable in God's eyes. We do that by showing them that not only do we show that God loves us, but we love ourselves and because we love ourselves and respect ourselves and value ourselves, we are more able to love others, accept others and value others. 
By God's grace, let us accept and love as we are loved. Dedicate yourself to something bigger than yourself. You know the, the, the scripture, I can't remember exactly where it is. I think it's in Isaiah. It says, make broad thy gates, widen thy tents. You know, stretch, what's that saying? As if you can reach 10 feet, well then reach 20 feet. Stretch further than you can. As a church, let us go further than we think we can go. Let us push further than we think we can push. Let us drive forward further than we think we can. Why? Because God loves us and God wants to bless us and God wants to use us and Satan wants us to think, but we're just a small church. What can we do? We have our, we're limited abilities with this problem, with that. You know, that's all our inner man sometimes talking. Sometimes it's the devil trying to thwart the work of God in our lives. Dedicate yourself to something bigger than your problem. The person who's wrapped up in himself makes a mighty small package. But you know something? If we're wrapped up in our love for God, we can do mighty things for the Lord. We can do wonderful things for the Lord. If we would truly appreciate and respect ourselves, let us give ourselves to the service of God and to a ministry of help to others. Doing so is going to help us be the person that God wants us to be. Discipline ourselves to a worthy goal in our life. We know that narrow is the gate of which the Lord speaks. And again, we read that and we think, well, if narrow is the gate, then I can't get through it. But you know something? God wants to bless you. God is with you. God wants to work through you. God wants you to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. Remember someone telling me you wouldn't become a Christian because you'd have to give up all the good things and he wouldn't enjoy life. And I want to tell you something. I've never enjoyed life more until I give my heart to the Lord. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. There's times, things that I enjoyed when I was younger. But you know something? They were temporal. They were gone in the morning. They were gone the next day. But God is with me all the time, blessing me and being with me. So help us understand tonight, wherever you are, and not just us understand, but help us to help others to understand God loves you. He really loves you. He has proven his love in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He continues to manifest that love through the ministry of the Holy Ghost. And you can demonstrate your love for yourself by making Christ the Lord of your life. Come to him now and mean it with all your heart. I don't know where you are. I know I'm preaching to the converted tonight. But as I said earlier on, when we evaluate ourselves and we listen to our own self-talk, then we, we honestly can say that we don't value ourselves enough. We tend to limit ourselves, don't we? And we limit ourselves because of the construct that we have built up about ourselves, that I can only do so much, or I can only do this, and I won't say that because no one will accept it, you know, because I say it. All these silly thoughts come into our heads. <clears throat> Almighty God poured out his love at Calvary and it didn't stop there. It's poured out tonight for you. It's poured out tonight for me. It's poured out tonight for those unsaved people that we will meet tomorrow and work as we go through our life that are struggling. That are struggling, that they've no joy in their life. They've no joy in their life because they're trying to build their life around what the world says they should be. And they're not going to get peace that way. They're not going to get joy that way. They're not going to get eternal life that way. But we have it in Christ, and let's share Christ's love. 
I'm going to just leave it there, folks. But let's just pray together as David comes back.